As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. On today's episode of The Glue Guys, the Nets are fun. Can we declare the Nets are? I know they lost yeah. against the eh, Lakers, but this is a fun team. Second half of a back to back. Who cares? Who cares? And I saw Brian in person. We will recount. Oh, the joy. The joy. There's some things we can't discuss, like the Turkish bathhouse, but besides yeah, that. Why not? We'll we, talk about that. Oh, yeah, we're, we're talking about, about that. We'll talk about that. Coming right up. Welcome back to the Glue Guys. This is Mike here. Say hello, Brian. Hello. Check us out on Twitter at BKGlueGuys, NetsDaily.com, The Athletic. Get yourself behind the paywall at TheAthletic.com slash GlueGuys, a subsidiary of the New York Times company, Brian. Michael. Michael. The Nets are back. Yeah, buddy. Um, Dude. We, we, had a heck of a, we had a heck of a time. You came up to the Big Apple. We saw the Knicks get shellacked by the Nets. We haven't even talked about that on the podcast. What a game. What an absolute yeah, we, shellacking. I was eating too many cannolis on the streets of New York to, Mike, to even Mike deign did to pod. literally eat a cannoli, a walking cannoli. Um, I thought it was a joke the whole time, and then he really just bought the cannoli and, and walked it. It was the best kind of joke where um, <laughs> it looked completely <laughs> hilarious, but yes, I, I got to eat ricotta stuffed with sugar yeah. and uh, a delicious shell. Yeah. Brian? Yeah. Um, you know... If the Nets had been the Lakers last night, this pod would be a pure jubilance and uh, extreme euphoria. Yeah, we I would be Zendaya, and you would be the the tall, scary guy who yells at people all the time on Euphoria, a Euphoria yeah, joke I for the no Gen idea. Zers. Yeah, I had no idea because we're trying to reach out to the Gen Zers, Bry. Yep, um, smart, but. Uh, yeah, they lost to the Lakers. I think that that game could be easily explained as uh, Claxton got hurt, Simmons didn't play, Curry didn't play. Um, second half of a back to back. Say no more. Wait, you lose me right there. Yeah. Second half. Of, yeah. That's all I need to hear. Yeah. <laughs> this team, this team under Jacques Vaughn. You know, uh, if Jacques Vaughn was leading the Republican Party, there would be a red wave right now. That's wow. how efficient he is. Yeah. Um, not that that's. Anyways, no, I'd, I'd not to get into yeah. that. Yeah. Um, this team is fun, Brian. And but, what I want to diagnose is uh, what's different. Uh, 
What, what, what's been happening? Why is this team rounding into form, getting better? There's a few key elements that are different. There are people that are not there, mm-hmm. um, which I want to figure out if how much we want to lay that down on, you know, Kyrie not playing for this team, but why this team is playing better. But why do you think this team is actually playing better? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to still parrot that same take that I had um, last week. It's not that... It's not that um, Here's the thing. It's the downstream effect of having there just be one hero ball player in at a time. Um, I think, like, in this particular ascendancy, it's really down to, like, the individual players. Um, Watching Cheerboy Edmund Sumner rise to the occasion and become effectively a starting point guard. And, um, like, even when it came to garbage time, when we played the Knicks, Mike, we noted that Edmund was not playing the garbage time. He is he has so begun to solidify. Now that wasn't the case last night. I was watching a little garbage time against the Lakers, so he was playing yeah. then. So I, I I didn't want to see that because I wanted this to take this take to really be solidified. Um, so this is like a half of a good take. Um, but anyways, I do think that like you know this is it's a crazy thing to say, but like um, having those types of players, we haven't had like actual fast athlete players who are kind of. Um, in that phase of their Active. career, yeah, where they're just like not, they're just they're dying to prove themselves, like absolutely dying to prove themselves, and we happen to have a couple of those, um, in in obviously different positions, um, so yeah, I mean like there's this kind of newfound egalitarian, like everybody's got to touch the ball sort of situation on offense, um, I can't, I mean like outside of just like does Jacques Vaughn. Here's the other thing. We we talked about this too. When Steve Nash is going to get fired, everyone's going to play a lot harder. Like that, there's going to be this like ten game streak here. Where, That's important to note. Yeah. Yes. Like because that is, I mean, Kevin Durant wanted him fired. He made that pretty public over over the break. Um, and so it, it is a it is in everyone's best interest right now to play really hard and make that look like uh, Steve Nash. And I don't disagree. Steve Nash was you know a big part of what was wrong with the Nets for a long time. So. You know, that's all good. There's no no issues with that. I'm just saying, you know, there's like kind of a honeymoon period there where because uh, like the defense or whatever is like through the roof. And like, are you we're still like, on your honeymoon period with uh, the, your significant the, other? Well, oh, yeah. Yeah. That never stopped. Six years later. Come on. Right. high. It feels like we're back in Hawaii every day. Um, no, For my wife and I feel like we're still in the wedding planning. <laughs> Nice. which is just hell nice. and you're with your family and you're trying to get money out of your family uh, and uh no come on it's a real disaster you're a real mensch um Help me <laughs> oh look at you using the linga i know well, even the, the francolinga th- of of my people yeah. um so yeah there's a couple of different things going on and uh, you know it's i don't want to attribute it to just jacques vaughn or like maybe you know the the, the window the window quick? of absence of Kyrie yeah. Irving is interesting. It's not doesn't have to be permanent. I don't think it's like you know this is the best version of the teams one where Kyrie is um, on yes. I, in in an isolation tank. Um, you know, so back to tank just floating around. Yeah, getting those back to juices. Right. Yes. Um, sorry, you you you, want, you seem like you wanted to say something. No, no, I was going to do a quick tangent about how Sarah Kustak. I called her a bench, and she DM'd us. I called her a mention on the show, and she DM'd us be like, just checking. Mensch a good thing or yeah. a bad thing? And I was like, Sarah, it's the best thing. Very nice. That would very be nice hilarious phrase. if you had a cryptic insult for just, oh, I, I didn't think you'd look. Yeah, it's She's it's, a mensch. <laughs> yeah, that Kustak yeah. is a mensch. Um, yeah, I. so to me, there's like a clear thing with under Jacques Vaughn. And I know people like oddly don't, there's just a, there's a section of the fan base that wanted Ime Odoka. And I understand why you would want that. He was a great coach last year with Boston Celtics and people like point to Jacques Vaughn's record with the Orlando magic. 
I think that was like the Obama administration, Orlando Magic. Yeah, that, that was, that a long was time ago. so long ago. Don't we all believe in growth? Um, this team is just playing way quicker, way faster. There was a clear edict. I mean, Katie has talked about it, like Jacques simplified things. And it's funny because the offense is running what sort of the core philosophy of Mike D'Antoni's system is, which, and I've heard Raja Bell, former Phoenix Sun, former teammate of Steve Nash's talk about this, not about this team, but in general, of that if you are open, you take the shot, right? You know, make a play. And when it was Steve Nash run offense here, everyone was so, I don't have the stats in front of me, but I feel like the off-ball movement was maybe about the worst in the NBA. There was no off-ball movement. And there was even when role players got the ball, they didn't really move. They just sort of like looked and looked to see if Kevin Durant reposted or something else. What is happening is KD gets the ball to start the possession. He looks for a shot, maybe doesn't quite get it, passes to Sumner. And then there's a, there's a, a, a real distinct line from coaching to say, Try to go to the bucket. Look what Royce O'Neal has done. Royce O'Neal is a guy who's like never been thought of as a distributor no. on any level. He's been a three and D bro. He's had like a he had like a seven assist game. He's playing recently. real pick and roll with Nick Claxton all of a sudden. There's there's chemistry forming. Like Nick Claxton has had has been giving the license to create a little bit. Yeah. Right? And that has a big effect because what was happening in the old offense was that all the role players were fit into such a tight corner. That if they didn't hit the open shot that came to them, then they had no utility in an offense. It just it was like KD, Kyrie, and those guys cook. Everyone else has to hit that open shot if they get it. Now what's happening is those guys are being allowed to go drive to the bucket, to dribble around a little bit, to quick passes around the, the perimeter, try to get it inside quickly to Nick Claxton. I mean, Claxton's patience down in the post this year has been kind of incredible for a guy who you know, he was he was just never very deft in the post, and now he's doing the thing where he catches, gathers, waits for the defender to make sort of like the leaping move, and then yeah. he'll go and dunk the ball. He can throw. He can finally throw that little head fake um, that is absolutely necessary if you want to do his little t- his little hook. How tiny that is, right? Yeah. That like tiny that movement tiny little- of, has, creates this massive effect yeah. and gives you an open <clears throat> bucket. You know, someone wrote. I think it was Alex Schiffer wrote this that Claxton is emerging as one of the best young bigs in the NBA. Mm. And I like don't have my young bigs list up. You know, I like to usually carry that in my pocket, the young bigs list. But so I don't know if I can go there because like I'm trying to like, is Jared Allen still technically a young big? I think Jared Allen's not that much older than Nick Claxton, mm. right? And, and Jared Allen's better. But after Jared Allen... Like, there's the tier of Jokic and Bede, which aren't young bigs anymore. Giannis, not a young big. Uh, Jared Allen certainly is one of the better young centers. But Claxton is becoming this force. Like, we saw in that Dallas game, JaVale McGee, a guy who's won championships and moves around in the league. And, like, every time a team gets him, they like him. But he never obviously stays for, like, super long. Like, he is a certain tier of big. And Claxton is just showing that he has, he's the tier above mm. the journeyman, the journeyman big. Like the Knicks signed Isaiah Hartenstein. What did you think of young Isaiah's minutes when we saw him? Do you remember a single one of them? A little forgettable, to be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah. Very, yeah. Very forgettable. Um, you know, the, the Knicks signed Mitchell Robinson. Well, he hasn't been playing. Yeah. I'm just thinking of like the list of guys and like, you know, 
there is a debate in the off season. I don't know if we can. It's not murder. She wrote. We haven't. We can't. There's no finality to it yet. Yeah. The decision was sign Bruce Brown or sign Nick Claxton. Now I'm going to look up Bruce Brown's stats as we speak right now, and I have seen some of the Nuggets games. And there's like he's like had a random very good game. He's ten four and four. Bruce love Bruce Brown. Mm. That is exactly That's who. Perfect line. Bruce, for him. Shooting thirty nine percent from three. Very mm. happy to see that he's still. Making threes. Let me ask you this, Brian. I didn't prepare you for this. Okay. Would you rather have Bruce Brown on this team right now or Nick Claxton? Well, it's it's an obvious choice for me for Nick Claxton just because of the the depth at the positions. Um, and and you know if it wasn't for the fact that Royce is just such a revelation, you know it's really easing the burn of losing um, Bruce Brown. I mean, in a vacuum, hard to say. Really, much much harder to say. But circumstantially, I think I got to go Nick Claxton. Would you rather have Bruce Brown or Royce O'Neal? I think Royce O'Neal, right? I feel here's what I feel about Royce O'Neal. I think he's an actual better defender across the board. We're like, as much as I love Bruce Brown, I love his friskiness and his like his weight to him could get the rebounds. Mm-hmm. He wasn't like this awesome defender. And not that I think Royce O'Neal is, but Royce O'Neal's like that annoying. He's had a lot of moments this season so far where he's definitely pissed off the other team. Yeah. And this team in particular, the Nets, needed that dude. Yeah. Like, they needed a little Pat Beverly instigator type, and Royce O'Neal has that element to him. Offensively, I really like him. I I think Royce has been been better than what Bruce was over his – I mean, it's tough. I love Bruce Brown. I don't don't want to disparage our boy. Yeah. That's our guy. It's an interesting uh, parallel to draw there, too, just because, like, Royce um, is – yeah, he was like he was really marketed as like a three and D guy, and he's not. And still, I'm still kind of like um, catching up to because Bruce Brown was like also kind of a weird playmaker in his own right. It was it was all everything was yes. all they're they're two very strange. Well, Bruce is like truly one of the strangest players, and in a, in an amazing way. Um, Steve Na- Nash's best coaching job was figuring out how to use Bruce Brown. Yeah, there's mm, no question. It's a nice take. I mean, he, the the fact that he took this guy and made him like the best center in the NBA for a week, yeah. you know, and made him the most devastating pick and roll threat with James Harden. Yeah, that was the best thing that Steve Nash did. Um, I have one last little take about the Jacques Vaughn thing. Um, it just kind of occurred to me that it is actually an incredibly significant hire, actually, in the face of the Imeo Doku situation. Um, just because it's the first time where we didn't do the whole, like, choose the star talent with sort of flawed bedside manner, office politics, whatever it is, um, probably not the best choice. Literal bedside manner. (laughs) I'm just gonna, I know, I know I'm sure it's serious, but like... (laughs) Just yes. just flaunt around the office in a, in any of the any of the ways. Um, we we've never turned down the talent. There's this whole thing in like I don't know. This is gonna sound lame, but like in like corporate culture, like you don't know. I think there's like probably like an Amazon like you know propaganda think piece about how they don't like like a lot of office places don't get along well with just somebody who's like I'm a star salesman, I'm a star designer, or whatever it is. And uh, people will generally kind of like trend away from that these days in the post Steve Jobs sort of world. And um, there's a reason for it. It's because it sows discord. You know, it's 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 a little bit difficult to manage. And you have multiple of those personalities. Check out our discord. Check out our discord. Anyways, it's the first time we've we've chosen the homegrown, not super splashy, not, you know, fired out of a cannon kind of personality. Um and and it's and it's had good early returns, and I just you know it just seemed like a, a moment where we should just 
take a moment to, to, to pause and, and observe that like, hey, we chose the unsexy hire here and it gone and it's gone pretty well so far. And, and that was one of my arguments against the anti-Jacques Vaughn armies that were out there on Twitter was that for a team that is so has been so dysfunctional for ever since basically Kevin Durant and Kyrie signed with the team on June 30th, 2019, a little stability that can go a long way. A little mm-hmm. bit of, hey, not a new parent not coming into the equation. Yeah. In this moment, a, a problematic parent on some level. Um, as much as like Ime had that relationship with a bunch of guys on the team, you know, there's also a lot of new people on the team that he has no relationship with. And who knows like how that, that all would have worked out. I I understand. Like I Jacques had done what was interesting is that if this Kyrie stuff didn't happen, right? And the Nets could have because the reporting is the Nets had been investigating the possibility of getting Ime Odoka before they even fired Steve Nash. It was like at least a week before potentially they were like, okay, I think we're gonna fire Steve Nash. Let's look into Ime. If Kyrie didn't happen, I think Ime Odoka is definitely the coach of this team because you're not having this one massive controversy where then you're adding in another controversy on top of it, another round of press conferences and press releases. And instead of the ADL coming after you, you have, you know, some women's group coming after you and saying, this is wrong. The net shouldn't be doing this, blah, blah, blah. Right. Then a round of columns come after that. If it is, if Kyrie doesn't promote Mm-hmm. His video, the video that he loves so much. Mm-hmm. Um, Ime Adoka is hired. And not even that. If Kyrie even had tweeted that out, that video, like he did, but apologized right away, I think this controversy dies down. I mean, we, we talked about not talking about this, and I'm just going to mention it real quick. Is that <laughs> We specifically did talk about it, but let's, let's get into it. Just a little bit. Yeah. Like People are like very, like LeBron has come out and said, and Jalen Brown and said, you know, what Kyrie's being asked to do is too much. The <laughs> six-step program. It's a little silly, I'll say. It's a little, it's a little silly. Um, the reason why he's doing that program, though, is not because he tweeted out the video. He's, he's doing the program, the Josai, the Big Daddy Josai program, is because... He refused to apologize on any level until basically his career was threatened, right? Like the video came out, there was a hubbub. He was uh, very dismissive of arguments. Adam Silver literally puts out a statement to say, you know, hey, Kyrie, you, you need to actually apologize. And then he still, when he meets with the press, doesn't apologize. So that's why he's doing this six-step program, which again, I, I do want to get into it at the end of the show. Well, I don't know if we should do this now, but whether you think it's an enough, but, but, <laughs> but here's the thing. If all this six step program, if all, if Kyrie had apologized initially, he the coach, but because there was this rolling controversy, it gave Jacques Vaughn the time to coach this team. And he was the team immediately flipped a switch mm-hmm. when he became the head coach. I'm not counting the bulls game because Kyrie was still co-opting the team at that point. Yeah. I, um, so like all of this is like been a ripple effect off of, you know, the disaster of the season so far, but Hey, I, it's turning around. I'm happy to answer that now. I, the whole like six step thing for me is manufactured to like have a PR moment of like, we did the, like we, you remember how everyone talks about like, this is an educational moment. Like we did it guys. We had the educational moment and yeah. that's what it's sort of designed to do. And, um, <clears throat> you know, people have issues with that of like, that's sort of, condescending in in a few ways um you know whatever i can go back and forth on that and, and i see those arguments um 
But really, from from the Nets' perspective, is they need to have that PR moment of we we had we had to come together. There was yeah, people get crazy on the internet, and you you fall into the wrong you know search engines. You, you type Yahweh into Amazon, and you never know what comes out. Um, so so it was an educational moment. Um, is it enough? I, I I think it's it's the right amount because like really we're just trying to hit that that little threshold um, where we can say that. Um, you know, is that is that the best like overall course of action? You know, I don't know, but that seems to be the plan for now. And it seems achievable so long as, as Kyrie um, is willing to, and it's also another thing. It's, you know, this goes back into like a lot of those other arguments about it being condescending. It's like a little bit of a test to see if Kyrie is willing to, you know, kind of curb some ego and do the, like, you know, kind of get, get tasked with some homework and, you know, you can't come back until you do it. Um, because that's the exact kind of thing that like chides him in particular. Um, and I think there is like a little bit of desire to, to uh, frankly, to chide him. Like we, you know, there is like, no, I, you know. I, again, I, I don't, I don't know if any, uh, Nets podcaster has mm-hmm. been as out front about the Kyrie anti-Semitism film, uh, stuff than I, but I do, I, I agree with you that I think there's a level of like, like the Nets put out, they they basically leaked it to everyone they could about the six step program, mm-hmm. Big Daddy Joe size six step program to success. He's going to write a book called Big Daddy Joe's Six Step Program to Success, and it's going to involve meeting rabbis. Mm. So that's always what you should do. And I think a lot of it was like they are so sick of Kyrie that they were going to make it as hard as possible for him to return. And so that's why I understand from the Players Association perspective of like, you know, like you know, we can't, the, you, you know, it is somewhat extreme the thing is Kyrie is such an extreme dude that I have trouble forgiving him or you know viewing him as a sympathetic figure because he did put out the video and he refused to apologize and he was like pretty strongly um digging in within the whole week until his career was essentially threatened Mm. but I will say this the Nets have put themselves in a corner because Kyrie has met with Adam Silver and Adam Silver leaked it that he or, or or he said himself in a statement that he does not view that Kyrie has any real anti-Semitic views. That he doesn't hate people. And then Josiah said the exact same thing. So now that you have the owner of the team and the commissioner of the league saying that, like, does Kyrie really need to get on some Zooms? I mean, ultimately, that's what we're asking him to do. We're saying this is so burdensome. He's just got to get on some Zooms and meet with a rabbi. Like, I, you know, I do that. I do that often. Yeah. You know? <laughs> before, I, before I have any big life every decision. Day. <laughs> yeah. And then I meet with a rabbi sometimes. Smart. And rabbis are, are famously, they just bad jokes, but they're nice guys. Yeah. Usually, most of them. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's... You, you know, know the f- right rabbi. Yeah. I mean, it's, the problem is it's, it's, par, it's, it's part of a larger... When people talk about this with the with the Kyrie Irving situation, it's it is part of a larger narrative that goes from flat earth to, you know, anti-vax to this. And... um you know, in this case, there is a bit of a jumping of the shark where, um, you know, it, it's a little bit spicier than flat earth, but it's born of the same place. So if those zooms are like, you know, how to Google better or whatever, you know, like uh, well, then the zooms let, are being, I, let I, me on. The zooms are being designed by the nets. I think, I don't know if people remember that. So I want people to realize how ill-equipped the nets are to design those zoom sessions. To, or I don't know if they're zooms. I'm just being flippant because it's all kind of silly. The Nets aren't like equipped to to make anti anti Semitism training 
or whatever in anti-sensitivity or pro-sensitivity trading. <laughs> we want, we want the pro-sensitivity version. There's like one door is the anti-sensitivity <laughs> and one's the pro-sensitivity. Yeah. Um, anyways, I don't really want to talk about it, but yeah. like I do think like, if, you know, if the owner of the team and the commissioner of the NBA are both like, hey, we met with Kyrie. We talked with him. He seems like a he seems fine. Then you then he should be pretty close to being allowed to play basketball again. Mm-hmm. I, I I you know unless this is this six step program, Big Daddy Joe's six step program was done in order to just be like Kyrie's never going to do this, and we don't want to see him again. Yeah. Which is very possible. I will give the Kyrie supporters that it is possible that the six step program is being done. To push him away. And to complicate things further, Mike, everyone's playing a lot better at the moment. It makes it even more complicated. Let's do this. We'll Mm. take a break. Coming out of break, I think, Brian, we should mention whether we believe, yes or no, the team is better without Kyrie Irving. Oh, boy. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, (laughs) I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f***ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture-themed trophies for six basketball-related activities. Trophies like the Dominic Toretto I Live My Life a Quarter Mile at a Time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. And we're back. Brian? Yeah. The conversation that I don't know if we're prepared to have, no, but I don't we think will so. have it. <laughs> Are the Brooklyn Nets better without Kyrie Irving? Do we? Do you want me to start, or do you want to dive deeply into the breach, my friend? No, I mean, I, I'm happy to sort of set the premise. Um, there was a tweet, and I, I don't have it in front of me because this is. I'm just, just trying to catch up to the to the new subject um, about what the record is in the last two years with Kyrie and without, and you know, without having the numbers in front of me. I think it was 17 and 25 uh, over the last two years, plus playoffs and play in with Kyrie and more. And over 500 uh, without him. We'll just call it that. Um, So there is, at least literally on paper, some evidence to suggest that uh, 
having Kyrie does not necessarily correlate directly to stacking the dubs, which is the K the KPI that we all are ultimately here for, Mike. And that's key performance indicator for <laughs> for those of you who don't. Um, so, uh, like, it is a uh, it is a fraught conversation at this particular moment. There, the the anti Kyrie pro Kyrie. Um, the the battle lines are drawn, Mike, and it is it is a it, we obviously are in the middle of it, and people who are on either side of it have issues with our you know just just because because we waffle and we go back and forth, we're incredibly nuanced and spineless. That's in in equal doses, and so we go back and forth, or at least I do. Uh, Mike, you're pretty dead set, <laughs> nuanced and spineless. <laughs> yeah, um, and listen to the glue guys, <laughs> and so um so I go back and forth on this myself. Um, I don't know if you do, but but those are the battle lines as they are currently constituted um that's this that's the subject for debate are we are we really ready to dig into this do we do we want to we want to air it out yeah i mean i i do hold the belief that if you are relying on Kyrie irving you will fail like on a basic level you know whether it's funny because bill simmons was podcasting before Kyrie sent the tweet bill simmons like two days before was saying stuff like you know Kyrie's going to do something that's going to blow up the team, right? And then Kyrie sends out the tweet, and then the world uh, learns about it through Rolling Stone magazine, and then, you know, all goes to hell. I firmly believe that Kyrie, as a whole, the whole Kyrie experience makes it extremely tough to to create a consistent winner at this point in his career. Mm-hmm. I think LeBron, one of his greatest achievements may be the fact that he was able to, whatever it was that he was doing, maybe it was because of Kyrie's age and he was just less independent and less sort of, I mean, we all, when we're 23, are different when we are when we're 30. That LeBron was able to contain whatever Kyrie was doing to win a championship and then go to multiple championships. Kyrie's unreliability, both on and off the court, Make it so it's tough to imagine the Nets can cohesively build a team and then go on to be very good in the playoffs or compete for a championship or blah, blah, whatever the goal is going to be. You know, and I've talked about this before, and we're going to, I'm going to do it at some point on a really high level. You know, what trades you would do for Kyrie? What, because like, frankly, Kyrie's pretty toxic across the NBA at this point. The thing that he is, is he's an expiring contract with a big number. So, a team could want him not for him, but for his contract mm-hmm. to clear their books for next off season. Mm-hmm. The teams I would be looking at are the Knicks because their season, they may be firing Tom Thibodeau pretty soon. Mm-hmm. Things, things are getting ugly in, in Knicks land. Yeah. And that's never been a stable organization. Newsflash. The new Utah jazz who are one of the best teams in the NBA so far this season, but their stated goal is to tank. Those are, that's a team I would look for. You know, I've said OKC, but OKC's books really are pretty clean and there's nothing you can do. Mm. You, you kind of look across the board. Uh, maybe if you're the Minnesota Timberwolves and you're like, we kind of suck, do we flip D'Angelo Russell? Anyways, there's, so there are places you can put Kyrie that may make sense from a contract perspective to bring back longer-term <laughs> bad contracts. I mean, frankly, Dallas, you know, they have a couple of long-term contracts on guys who aren't doing anything for them. That's a team you can look to and say, well, maybe, you know, you send, I mean, Kyrie and Dallas kind of fits, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I don't know. Culturally. Culturally. Yeah. Um, maybe he'll be very embraced. Anti-vax, 
you know, all the stuff that he likes to pretend out there. So I, I firmly believe the way this team is playing now, they are playing better. The problem is, and this is my this is the negative to my own argument, they cannot win a championship without some either Kyrie or something in replace of Kyrie. Meaning, mm. like, they can't just tell Kyrie to go away. Yeah. You know, so one, you have to at least give it a shot to have him come back and see if he can kind of play more within this system, which is like, hey, we're going to move the ball. Like, the stars are going to get their shots up. I mean, KD has been... KD's kind of a secret MVP candidate, mm-hmm. just that the team is so, you know, controversial that no one really wants to talk about it, but he's electric this year uh, and so efficient. Yeah. And, and so... Can you bring Kyrie into the system? Can you give that a shot? I have I have my doubts. Like I have my doubts that like it it just won't work from the time he comes back till the end of the season. There will be more discontent. There will be ways that he kind of damages the basketball. But also, I'm not an idiot. Like this team isn't going to win a championship with Edmund <coughs> Sumner. Yeah, you know being Magic Johnson for the team. It is really an interesting player to think about like this too, because there's nothing like. <laughs> like he is a 50 40 90 guy like he is um like spectacular to watch uh like just the optics of him playing basketball are unbelievable so um fun. and and yet uh it's like it, while well, i'm trying to like think about like why is it that it's that it, it like if he comes back and we go back into like dueling banjos stuff again like how much more evidence will we need before we're like it's almost like we're um, there's like some kind of like logical fallacy going on. Like if you play well enough and like <clears throat> like visually stimulating enough, you take up that amount of like bandwidth and people's because it's like you're watching ten guys at a time, and if somebody's that spectacular, you just you just can't help but like put all of your attention onto them, or at least like you know two of ten. Um, and that I do find that that's what happens when Kyrie plays. Like I'm just like kind of zeroing. It's like wow, it's just so much fun to watch. Um, and I think there is something to it where it's like it's possible that it's it's just it's one of those like you know moneyball situations where it's uh, like how is it that that could be diminishing returns? Like I just don't like fully understand like how somebody who's both efficient like that and high volume and then also spectacular makes really difficult shots. How is it still not resulting in like dominance? It just and it hasn't been. It hasn't been since the entire time he's been here. It just hasn't resulted in that the, the dominance that we like one would expect. Um, and, and I hate it. Like now we get to have to dig down into the, into the murkiness of like, well, yeah, it's like, it's, he's not a leader. And there's like, you know, we get into this, like, you know, sub- subjective stuff where it's very difficult to qualify. Well, I think there's a subtlety that people need to think about when they watch these games. So like a great example is Luca. When Luca's cooking, he draws double teams. He creates open shots for teammates. Kyrie, because he's so singularly great at like ball handling, and all of his shots are extremely tough. It's not like teams send doubles to Kyrie because he doesn't like blow by anyone. He just, he, I don't know how to describe it, but it's like, it almost doesn't help to send a double to Kyrie because what he's, what he is doing is so quick and limited in the space that he's operating in that he's going to be able to, he basically kind of gets his shot in a very quick moment. Where Luca is this like long Luca, James Harden, Giannis, they are like top of the key, eyeing the basket, dribbling, 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 driving to the hoop, consuming the defense. Even Steph Curry, where it's like Curry's obviously amazing, and everyone talks about his gravity because he pulls people towards him, the three point line. 
Kyrie at one point was as good of a shooter as Curry. There was like a moment when it was like, who's the better shooter from as a point guard, mm-hmm. whatever they want to consider them. And and actually, if you look at Kyrie's numbers, his three point shooting is bad this year. But that, I mean, that's just also because he played like yeah. three games or whatever. Um, Kyrie, it's hard to describe. Kyrie's greatness kind of involves him being interior and focusing on his play. And then that kind of affects a general offense. Like he doesn't, he's not a guy who's going to not only raise his own level of offense, he's not pulling other people up with him. He's just so singularly great. Kevin Durant's kind of like that too. They're both players that are singularly amazing and electric. KD draws double teams. There's no, I mean, he draws a massive amount of double teams. So he does it way more than Kyrie. Kyrie's just like so freaking unique. Um, I mean, he's incredible. And I don't, I don't really even want to. The, the whole point of this conversation is not to even to disparage no, his to game, right? <clears throat> I'm trying to understand it, you know, because it's like it should it should be working. I was I watched this um this sort of like th- psychological thriller recently about a true story about two twins um who were bad influences on each other and they could only talk they only talked to each other and nobody else and they pretended not to speak for like the first twenty years of their life basically like they get like, like nobody That's could get phenomenal. through them is that and, a true story like a yeah thing. it's a true story and so they oh. had to like split them up and I find that like Kevin Durant <clears throat> is maybe like. There could be a little bit of a bad influence. <laughs> I hate to do this, but like you know, like he, he uh, has been much more like integrated into the offense, and uh, like he's stacking trip dubs everywhere, you know, or like close to it. And most nights that he's playing nowadays, um, his assist numbers have gone up since Kyrie's been back. It just feels, it just feels different. I'm just trying to. It's, I don't have hot takes. I'm just trying to understand it, Mike. I'm trying to to understand. Help me to understand. And and the other thing I'll add and. You know, so this team, watching this team, there was like a moment when it was on the floor, like closing crunch time. It was Claxton, KD, and then all shooters. It was like Royce, Seth Curry, and Joe Harris. And of course, Kyrie's a shooter. And like, he, how great would he be if he was actually playing off ball and he was receiving a pass from the three point line and either putting up that shot or like cooking guys who are, who are trying to, you know, rotate towards him? That's not who he is, but like the that that lineup, the KD as the ball handler with Nick Claxton down there, pick and roll, offensive rebounding, and then just shooters is like so exciting. Uh, who also is not in that lineup is Ben Simmons, which I don't mm-hmm. know if I mean, you know, I, can, let me ask you this: We saw him in person. Yeah, what did you think of Ben Simmons in that <laughs> Knicks game? Um. <clears throat> Because I will say, Brian got very good seats. Oh, Brian got six. We were six rows behind the Nets bench. We were really, we were really. We we one, there's a, a lot of bunch of things we could picked up. We should we talk about the Sean Marks brain trust a little bit? <laughs> no, I no. think we should. I, do you? Okay. Yeah, I think we should. But what did you think about Ben Simmons when you saw the, him uh, in person that up close? You know, I don't even like. I what's here's the real issue is that I've stopped really like keying into him. Like he he is doing the thing that we kind of like were worried about, yeah. which is is a little bit like drifting into the background, um, which isn't the worst thing at this moment. But like it is, it is sort of like a. This is, I, you know, I have my ramp in the background on the YouTube. Um, it, we're back to ramping him. I feel like this could be a ramp situation, um, and this could be a very long ramp. But um, I, I don't know. Um, I, I'm, I guess I'm in the process of readjusting my expectations because I do not know what the what the zenith of this experience is going to be at this point. And uh, I, I, there's not a whole lot there to suggest right now that it's going to get like 
a lot better very soon. It doesn't, doesn't, so my expectations have been lowered. I'll say that. I'll say that. Yeah. It's, it's very uncomfortable. He's very uncomfortable out there. And that, mm-hmm. that's partly, I mean, he, you know, coming back from back surgery and now having a knee issue, like it's not unusual. And he hasn't played in a long time, but he's very uncomfortable. Um, Sean Marks. So where Brian and I were sitting was again behind the bench and very close to like, so it's like by the tunnel where the nets, like right by the nets bench. And that's where Sean Marks and the front office all sit. They sit in these seats like right there. Um, were we watching a credit, credit Suisse happy hour? What were we watching there, Bri? The, the vibe? <laughs> what would you say the vibe of the front office staff of the Brooklyn Nets was? Um, I don't know. It was very... Um how uh, much Patagonia half zips do yeah. you, or quarter zips do you think they own? <laughs> well, there, there was a lot of sp- smart jackets. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, you know, it was very buttoned up crew. Um, I don't know. What, what do you? <laughs> I just, I'm just not. I'm just not that impressed. Oh, you know? oh, I'm not that impressed by the crew. Wow, they you, were all. You think you could do they, better? Is this your? This oh, is your job application? I, mean, yeah, yeah. I, I have for years. Yeah, uh, you know, I've listed draft prospects and stuff. I don't know. It was just, just. Uh, the vibe of it was was not what I wanted. You know, <laughs> didn't feel we, like we were joking that there was one. Uh, there was the Peter Brand. As speaking of Moneyball, in in like that was just having that had Sean Marks' ear uh, the whole time. He's like, "That's that's who found Edmund Sumner and Yuta Watanabe was was their Peter Brand." And I did want to do this, and but we do have one email question, and I, we'll get to that right now at the end of the show. But I do think Sean Marks deserves credit because. You know, we believe Markeith Morris was a Kevin Durant signing because he seemed to push for it. The guys who that when Sean Marks had the end of the year press conference and he talked about wanting to kind of get back to the the ethic of the Spencer Dinwiddie, Joe Harris teams back in the past, the signings that represent that are Yuta and Sumner, and they've both been awesome, um, and or, you know, awesome in their role. He deserves credit for grabbing those guys. I mean, like, Edmund Sumner is, like, a thousand times better than, um, you know, like, I love Chris Chioza, but he's a, just a way more interesting player than Chris Chioza is at this point. And it has an actual potential future because he's a little longer, he's much longer than Chioza. Yuda is a valuable bench guy where it seems like you could probably not play Yuda for three weeks and then put him in and he would just cause havoc. Mm-hmm. And I love that. So he deserves credit. We have one question here, Brian. Okay. This is a this is a basketball question. This is from Tom John. Okay. He says, "Hey there, glue guys. Wondering if you expected such a night and day difference, at least defensively, with the switch from Nash to Jacques Vaughn. What factors do you think are the most responsible for this improvement on defense? What is JC's defensive scheming, quality opponents, current players, indefinite suspension, or have some players just bought into JC's coaching? I I think it all." Well, one, it links back into, yes, Kyrie not being on the floor, it helps. Um, it also, like, the, the bench has gotten deeper. And, like, you know, not that Seth Curry's a good defender, but him coming back allows you to spread out more minutes among some other guys. Joe Harris getting more back into the swing of things allows you to spread out minutes. Um, I think there's, like, a real determination. You'll see it from Sumner. You'll see it from Royce O'Neal. Those guys like playing more and having more agency on offense has bled into defense where there's like a real effort. And Nick Claxton has become like he was always a bad rebounder for a guy his size. 
He's doing the thing where like he even just tips out the ball and gets it to the nets, <clears throat> mm-hmm. which is like a that's the next level of rebounding that you're trying to attain to, which is like affecting the rebound while not getting it. And he's doing that. And as you love to state, uh, rebounding, you know, is a form of defense. Getting a rebound mm. is mm. and ending a possession mm. by rebounding. Is if I actually never think you've said those exact words. <laughs> feels, feels very right in your mouth. Feels very Red Arbach of me. I love it. Um, um, this team is <clears throat> is playing significantly better on defense. It's partly because Kyrie's out, and I think it's because it talks about simplification. Like this team is just there. Here's a key moment. Okay, I forget what game. It, oh, it was the Mavericks game when Luca was cooking the Nets, and KD switched on to Luca and was guarding Luca, which one is so exciting, right? That Kevin Durant's like, fuck it. I'm willing to get embarrassed, but I'm going to guard this supernova talent who outweighs me by 70 pounds or however much Luca outweighs him. But KD was kind of messing up. KD was doing a thing where he was so determined to stop Luca was that when he should be switching off Luca, when there was a screen coming, he stuck with, he stuck with Luca through the screen but so did the other Nets defender who was guarding the screen man. And then Luca would have a wide open player charging to the middle of the hoop. That guy would catch the ball, either pass it out to a shooter or dunk it, right? Katie was bucking the scheme to try to be mono mano defense. Nets called a timeout. Jacques Vaughn did. Coming out of the timeout, Katie stopped doing that. Katie allowed the switches to happen. And the Nets played better defense on Luca. They mm-hmm. stuck to the scheme. That's a coaching change. Mm. You know, maybe, maybe KD probably recognizes it himself. He's one of the smartest players of all time. Mm-hmm. This team is, there's something, there's something magical happening here, Brian. Okay. Well, we'll be okay. very interested to see what happens um, now that we, we have a little bit of a data set, tiny, tiny data set. And then Kyrie is going to come back at some point and we'll be able to contrast and compare. And this conversation I'm sure will go on throughout the entire season one way or another mike uh and we'll be here to track it all all right let's go to break coming back no. <laughs> um at bk glue guys on twitter twitter is a cesspool real conversation happens on discord discord.gg slash glue guys i mean really people take hold of that what brian just said yeah. i mean discord is words it's, it's just the place to be and then there's also a YouTube, smash the follow, hammerjack the like. Um and Mike, uh anywhere else? Anything else you want to plug? You got a thing. Um Mike has no, a I've got a couple of books coming Mike's out. Gonna, Do say. you know that Michael Lewis has been embedded with the guy from FTX? Oh, no. Um, I didn't know that. He's been embedded with him for six months. Wow. Can, can you I'm imagine? Excited. I mean that I mean Michael Lewis, Jesus, man. Yeah. How much more money do you need? Yeah, it really gets in there. He's going to crush it. Like, yeah. how how quickly? Yeah. So, anyways. Um, look for, look yeah, for that. I've lost a, money, a lot of money in FTS. <laughs> um, Oops. Oops. Sorry. You'll get it back. Anyways, um, thanks for having me, Mike. Hey, bye.